0: Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide to crushing the five barriers to growth at netsuite.com. fool Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 19th, and we're catching up on some big tech news. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist Evan New. Evan, we've been paying attention to some of these big, new issuances lately. We've been leaving some market news alone for a little while.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot A lot of companies going public. Yeah, SurveyMonkey, Tencent Music, It's just a lot going on on the IPO front.
0: And much as we love doing those S-1 and F-1 shows that do the breakdown of these prospectuses, we got to pay a little bit of love to the big tech companies that are making headlines. I think we're going to do that on today's show, talking a little bit about Snap. Facebook, and Alphabet, and some of the big news coming out of them. How do you feel about that? Sounds good. <laughs> Why don't we kick things off with Snap? Uh, a couple big news items coming out over the past few weeks. thought it might make sense to recap on those before the company reports next week. Uh, we had a research note earlier this month from a moffat Nathanson analyst expressing some concerns about the company's cash burn. Uh, this came as CEO Evan Spiegel is reportedly targeting full-year profitability in 2019, and a stretch goal of breaking even in Q4 of 2018. I have a little bit of skepticism around that, Evan. Yeah,
1: I don't <laughs> think they deserve a lot of trust when it comes to their outlook and their forecast, because they've shown time and again that they they're just not executing well in growing this ad business. Uh, Moffat Nathanson is not the only analyst to. Um, expressed concerns i mean btig like a month prior had a similar note they downgraded a snap to sell and also pointed to this cash burn that's really troubling i mean they've burned through half a billion dollars in the first half of the year and right now or as of the end of the second quarter they had about 1.5 billion in cash so and and their their cash flow is just horrendous i mean free cash flow is typically in this negative 200 million range almost every quarter so it's just they're just on this really unsustainable path
0: yeah, and I think the narrative that the company is spinning is we have this new CFO. He's a little bit more financially minded, more of a kind of traditional Wall Street exec, um, and and we're starting to see them become a little bit more shipshape, right? We're getting some guidance from them, uh, but I don't know that you can immediately reverse a company's path in in one or two quarters. You know, to your point earlier about cash flow, I mean, they're also posting operating losses of over three hundred million dollars every quarter for the past year. That, that's an operational issue. That's not necessarily a financial issue.
1: Right. And then, on top of that, they announced that they're expanding their Snap Originals, which is these original content shows. Uh, but now they're kind of getting into the scripted shows and docu-series, and, and they, they've done these kind of things in the past, these little little bit of original content here and there, so, but this is kind of, looks sounds like a pretty big expansion. So these are basically just short little series that you can watch on your phone, they're vertical format. Then, you know, each episode's only maybe five minutes, then of course advertisers can purchase these ad spots that are, you know, six seconds, you can't skip them. So... I don't, know. I don't know about that strategy either, monetizing original content with ads. Is, I mean, original content typically is very expensive. So monetizing with advertising is just a really tough way to make money. Of course, these are short shows, so maybe the production costs aren't too big. But it just seems like kind of a weird thing for Snapchat to be trying to pull because is that really going to bolster engagement? I mean, their, their user numbers are already kind of heading in the wrong direction. And I doubt that this is going to work.
0: Yeah, in some ways, it's surprising for a company like this to get into originals. You know, you think of original content as being something that platform companies need in order to draw people in and have their model scale, right? Like, you. Own and operate this content, so you enjoy the leverage that comes from it. Um, you know, you look at a Spotify or Netflix. Uh, it's a little bit di- different when you're licensing other people's work or paying royalties on other people's work uh, for usage. Uh, so, in some ways, you know, you have all this user-generated stuff on Snapchat, and they don't need to necessarily pay for content. But then you can also make the argument: okay, this original series, well. This gives them something that Facebook can't just copy, right? They can't just port that immediately over to Instagram because it is a Snapchat original. They own it.
1: Right. I mean, but then again, also, keep in mind that Facebook is also kind of seeding some original content for its watch platform as well. So, everyone is trying to do the original content in their own kind of way. Uh, but certainly, Facebook has a lot,
0: quite a lot, bit more money than Snapchat does. <laughs> and the, the reason why this works into this financial conversation we're having about profitability, right, is you look at the books for Snap, and infrastructure costs eat up about half of revenue and as we've talked about before that's a variable cost because they do not own all of their IT infrastructure so that's going to scale pretty much with usage on the platform uh, the other big expenses for them i mean it's payroll and r&d and so if you see them laying off a bunch of people there will be some cost savings there or if you see them stop investing in ar vr Maybe originals, then uh, the cost structure might change a little bit, but clearly they're still investing in new stuff and they're investing in new content. So uh, I, I see all of this at being kind of at odds against long term profitability.
1: Right. I think that's kind of the, the real crux of it here is that they, they just do all this weird stuff that's like kind of arguably a distraction. I mean, spectacles is a good example too. I mean, they're spending all this money developing spectacles. No one uses them, no one buys them. Now they're you know, putting money into these originals, which, I, I of course, everyone's doing it, so it make kind of kind of make some sense at face value. But again, it's kind of unclear if it's actually going to bolster engagement, strengthen the platform at all. Uh, and of course, you know, comes back to the money. I mean, is it going to help them grow
0: ad revenue? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because that's where it's going to have to come from, right? I mean, uh, for them to reach profitability, they're going to need really strong top line growth. That outstrips all of the variable costs that move with increased usage, which basically means they need to increase ad impressions or increase the price that people are paying for ads. And I don't really know that that's going to happen. I mean, all the revenue growth that they've been posting has been because they've increased impressions. Prices have fallen precipitously since they moved over to the automated ad serving platform. And I don't really see that ending anytime soon.
1: And meanwhile, they're running out of cash.
0: (laughs) And meanwhile, they're running out of cash. So, something to keep in mind as you look at Snap's financials next week when the company reports. And and just as an interesting little anecdotal thing, uh, one of the things that we've had kind of a struggle with with Snap is like they don't have the same targeting, right? That a Facebook does, that a Google does, with intent and and with with kind of uh, social activity and demographics. Uh, I was on Snap this morning, Evan. And I was kicking the tires of the platform as I often do before we talk about the company. And I was checking out some stuff in the Discovery Channel, and I was served four variants of the same ad while consuming content. They were all from Merck. And they were all for birth control.
1: <laughs> and, and are so, you not are you not in the market for birth control? I am are not you saying presently is not working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not presently in the market for birth control, and I view that as just a targeting problem on this platform, and and one of the issues that ultimately traces back to ad prices, right? Because if that's what I'm getting served up, there's clearly some issue there, and that's going to bear out in whatever the advertisers see in terms of ROI uh, for reasons like that. I, I don't really see the ad prices turning around anytime soon, and I don't see this company becoming profitable anytime soon, either.
1: Yeah, I just regret getting out of my short
0: too early. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, why don't we switch gears and talk Android in Europe? Uh, we got a recent ruling from the European Commission, uh, basically looking at Google's Android practices and deciding that they are anti-competitive. Evan, you want to give us the rundown?
1: So the European Commission slapped Google with a pretty massive $5 billion fine, uh, which, of course, they're appealing, and you know, that'll make its way through the courts. Maybe they settle. Who knows? Um, but you know, that issue is that some of the things that Google does with Android are anti-competitive, particularly how it has long paid device manufacturers to pre-install Google Apps and the Google Play Store. And that gives them this huge advantage uh, within the Android platform, and it really undermines the competitive advantage. You know, nature of other companies that might want to compete in search or you know so yeah there's a lot going on here when the the decision was announced google ceo Sundar pichai also kind of suggested that this model is going to have to change and you know speculation was that they're going to start charging a licensing fee, and now that's actually kind of what's happening. So Google has now said that they will start charging manufacturers a licensing fee, not for Android, the platform itself, but specifically related to its suite of apps and services, which includes the Play Store. I mean, the Play Store is a pretty huge piece there because that's where you get all your apps and stuff. Um, So they're not... so that's pretty big reversal in terms of the economics of where the money goes. I mean, instead of them paying manufacturers, manufacturers now have to pay them, uh, and of course, those companies will probably pass along those costs to consumers in the form of higher prices. Which you know we've seen in other computing you know, form factors that when you know you have one company makes an operating system that licenses it out, that generally leads to higher prices because those companies need to make that money back, and they typically throw their own margin on top. So. You know, I think that has some pretty you know, important implications with the Android ecosystem and the business model in Europe, at least.
0: So, the upshot for all of this is, short-term, uh, it, it could mean that prices go up on Android devices simply because manufacturers have to pay to access this stuff in a way that they haven't in the past. Longer-term, theoretically, this leads to uh, more competition. The barriers to competition are a little bit lower for people providing apps in the space. Right.
1: So it also kind of depends on, do manufacturers, are manufacturers going to really try to sell Android devices that don't have Google Apps and services? Maybe some will try and see how well those, you know, test the market and see if those devices can sell well. Because if those devices can sell well, then certainly, you know, you know consumers might prefer lower prices, manufacturers prefer lower costs. Uh, and some actual news broke today that the licensing fee is actually going to be pretty high. Google have initially said that this fee will be pretty small and not really... You know, too much to worry about but i think that what they're doing is um trying to put in a high fee and kind of as a way to incent manufacturers to make other concessions so this fee is reportedly as high as 40 dollars which is massive (laughs) i mean that's more than like what windows phones used to charge for you know back when windows phone was a thing um for that platform but uh, that fee will vary based on the country and device type and i mean it's as low as like three dollars but it can go as high as forty dollars but now you know google will offer breaks if the manufacturer pre-installs chrome and google search Um, and pre-installing chrome will also become a requirement for some of these revenue sharing agreements they have around search so it's basically saying hey we're going to charge a ton of money, but we'll give you a break if you basically keep pre-installing it. It's kind of like this roundabout way to more or less keep the status quo and present a really strong financial incentive for them to basically still pre-install Chrome and Search, which have always been Android's primary monetization strategy for Google.
0: And the reality is, uh, the reason that the European Commission is so narrowly focused in on Google is it dominates this market. I mean, it's dominant here in the United States, but I think within the like top five largest European countries, it has eighty plus percent market share. Something crazy like that,
1: right? That's according to Kantar's estimates. But yeah, the top the big five European markets, yeah, Android is huge. It's like eighty percent of the market. And I mean, globally, of course, Android is huge too. But yeah, this decision does specifically relate to, to Europe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're such a huge player there, and they dominate this market. That, and they have such a such a, like m- this massive position, market power position, where they can really just undermine all competing search providers, particularly on the mobile front.
0: Right, and also, you know, the, the the core of it is they make good products. That's why people continue to use them. Like, yes, they are the defaults for so many uh, of these Android devices, where they they are packaged in in a way that makes it very easy for consumers to use. And you know, the less friction you have there, the more likely they are to use those apps. But a lot of people go out of their way, you know, on iPhones even to use Google apps because they're pretty much top of the line for the industry.
1: Right, so you know they do also have those agreements with Apple too, where they pay Apple for the default search spot. But you know, like you to your point about removing friction, I mean, pre-installing the, this stuff is a huge advantage because a lot of people, even if they really like Google apps and services, may not go out and install it themselves. So when you, if you buy a new phone and it already has this stuff on there, it just it's a seamless thing. It just feeds you straight into their search their search products and other services. So I mean, that's just such a huge you know, strategic benefit having these things pre-installed.
0: So the big picture takeaway for this news is basically Google is going to do everything that it can to basically maintain status quo, although they'll have to jump through a couple hoops to make that happen.
1: Right. I mean, that seems like how they're trying to approach it, um, because they don't want to really give up any of these advantages they have. But at the same time, they have to navigate this new precarious legal position that they're in because of this antitrust decision. So if they restructure the way the, the model works... Then they can maybe get away with it, and I mean they did have to get rid of some of these other restrictions around, you know, what devices other people can sell. So I mean, overall it is on paper a positive thing for consumers because theoretically it will create more choice ultimately. But if that turns out to result in higher prices, that's not a great thing. And if, to the extent that Google can kind of keep things the way they are, you know, maybe there's not as much changes you hope.
0: All right, We're going to talk about why institutional investors are not so happy with Mark Zuckerberg on the second half of the show. But before we do, support for this podcast and the following message come from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. With NetSuite, you can save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or even your phone. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and now it's available to you. The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or phone. And you can get NetSuite's free guide, "Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth," at netsuite.com/fool. All right, so Evan, uh, it, it has been a rough. 2018 from Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, uh, and, and recent headlines from some investors that own a pretty hefty number of shares of Facebook uh, are only going to make things a little bit tougher for him.
1: Right. So, uh everyone is really just upset that Facebook has just really botched so many things they just have this non-stop string of scandals and controversies all around privacy and data and I mean people have been asking for you know better corporate governance for a long time and and it seems like you know all of these mistakes and controversies are just really riling up the investor base, particularly when it comes to institutional investors, to try to push for change. And you know, so Trillium Asset Management has put forth this proposal that will be up for a vote next year that basically will split the CEO and the chairman roles. Uh, they actually put up a similar proposal in 2017, but it failed. But now they're getting more backing from other public funds. Uh, numerous you know, state you know, funds are, are starting to support this measure. Um, but it's 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 going to boil down to whether or not Zuckerberg agrees to it or not.
0: Right, right. So these are institutional investors that primarily work in uh, public workers and pension funds, and that's why they have these very large allocations of Facebook shares. Um, the the reality, though, is it depends on whether Mark Zuckerberg wants this to happen, right? Because of the way that Facebook is set up from a voting power perspective. Right,
1: he has about 60% voting power So he can single-handedly vote Any proposal in or out He can vote any director in or out He's the chairman of the board So he, he, you know well, answers to himself <laughs> uh, which is kind of you know the the whole reason why in general splitting the CEO and chairman roles is good for corporate governance because of course the board of directors is supposed to oversee management and its oversight responsibilities are fundamentally undermined if the CEO is also chairman because you're just you're you're your own boss and there's no there's not really any accountability and that lack of accountability i think has really contributed to these these controversies and these you know, really big scandals that Facebook has had because Zuckerberg is not accountable to anyone,
0: right? And to kind of use Elon Musk as a, a parallel here, I mean this this is kind of something that is going on with Tesla right now, where we are seeing the SEC push for this type of separation to increase accountability,
1: right? So it, it, the the Tesla situation is kind of bizarre because Elon um, is you know kind of erratic and you know he's he made some really outlandish statements about taking the company private that the SEC felt were misleading, um, and you know, essentially argued that he committed securities fraud. And then, as part of the settlement, he agreed to step down as chairman. To, so, it, the, the net result is that, for Tesla, you know, CEO and chairman are going to be split up, because Elon has has been both for a long time. So, that's actually good news for, uh, in terms of corporate governance, whether or not, in practice, who they pick, and Whether or not the the board actually tries to do its job better, (laughs) that remains to be seen. Um, But, yeah, so if we come back to Facebook, I mean, Zuckerberg doesn't do crazy things like Elon does that are going to get the ACC's attention. Um, But, you know, so you're not going to have that kind of outside force to to make him step down. And because he has so much voting power, you really can't do it unless he agrees to it. Like, he has to voluntarily agree to it.
0: Yeah, and normally these huge institutional investors they want these voting shares of companies that split out their voting shares or have non-voting shares at some point. And that is why you see that slight delta between um, Google voting shares and non-voting shares, or Under Armour voting shares and non-voting shares. because If you have enough of them as an institutional investor, and you have people on the inside that do not have a critical mass of, of, of voting power, then you might actually be able to wield some change. The reality here, though, is the stakes that are owned by all these groups combined, Trillium and all of these institutional investors on the public side, combine to about 5 million shares, which is effectively a rounding error on Facebook's overall shares outstanding. And it is nothing on the 60% that Mark Zuckerberg holds in terms of voting power.
1: Right, and it's because he has these you know, super voting Class B shares that get ten votes per share, and he basically has all of the Class B shares. <laughs> or he has like you know something like 95 percent of all Class B shares. So it's really kind of a grim outlook for investors because it's pretty obvious that all of, all the while these investors have been making these arguments, you know, very conventional arguments, saying, "Hey, this is better for corporate governance. This will be good for investors." And Facebook just doesn't care. Like they just don't listen to the reasons. So. I don't know what's going to get through to Zuckerberg, but, I mean, the company has defended this setup for a long time. I mean, as I mentioned before, they they voted against this in 2017 and basically said that they still think that the best, most effective, you know, leadership model is that Zuckerberg is both chairman and CEO, and that's the way they've always done it, and that's what, what's helped them get here today. But it's pretty clear, in a lot of ways, it's not working well. And, you know, we, we're starting to see investor unrest, you know, and people getting upset about it. But stuff they can do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Barring Mark Zuckerberg recusing himself from the vote. Uh, his votes will be cast in a certain direction. I think we can be pretty sure. But all of this really highlights, you know, the importance of corporate governance and the importance of understanding the ownership structure of the stocks that you're owning. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time when we're doing those IPO shows, kind of looking at inside ownership and how that's held. We spent a ton of time talking about that with Snap in particular, um, and and it can sound like a very academic discussion sometimes. This is exactly why it matters, though, Evan.
1: Yeah, and it's also kind of worth remembering that Facebook even tried, you know, a year or two ago to give him even more voting power when they wanted to create this third class of non-voting stock and then they got sued by all these investors and they they essentially just dropped the plan. But the point is that obviously they they wanted to even take it even further.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: and give him even more power so he could like continue selling off his stock for, to fund his philanthropic interests, but Keep all this power, and you know, so it's pretty clear that they, they, they just don't listen to public investors at all.
0: Yeah, I think by and large, Trillium and these public funds know that they are more raising an issue than probably creating any change. But you know, it's it's obvious that they're not very happy with Facebook's management. Um, before we wrap up, Evan, I, I put out that we were talking about some of these companies on Twitter, and I want to take a listener question. And this one comes from Austin, who has asked us a couple questions before, and he says, "What product is worse?" snaps glasses or Facebook's portal given the company's recent privacy issues uh, what's your take on that one Evan
1: <laughs> Facebook portal is definitely worse <laughs> they I mean that there's so many privacy concerns for Facebook as a company whereas you know spectacles they're kind of a silly product but you know as we mentioned before um, snap is doesn't have this kind of Crazy targeting reach into all these aspects of your lives that Facebook has. So I, I'm not as concerned about privacy issues there, and it's more of just a way to use the platform. Whereas Facebook's portal is very specifically an, uh, just yet another way for the company to gather data around on you. And it, there is really shocking reversal the other day when initially Facebook said a portal would not be used to gather data for ad targeting purposes, and then like uh, like this week they confirmed they like completely changed their stance. Like, oh wait, actually we will, <laughs> or like we can, but we don't want to, which doesn't really, you know, reassure people when that don't trust Facebook anymore. And on top of that, Facebook is coming out with this other reportedly working this other type of portal device that goes on top of your TV that has a camera in it. that does the same kind of video calling and watch platform stuff that portal wants to do. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly going to keep pushing in this hardware direction, but they're going to use this to target you with ads, even after they said that they wouldn't.
0: <laughs> so, so for me, both of these bother me for different reasons. I think the Facebook portal and the launch of the portal just comes at a time where, like, you shouldn't be putting cameras in people's houses. They don't trust <laughs> you. <laughs> but, but what bothers me about Snap is, you know, the the financial um, diligence that we want them to be having. You know, looking at what's going on on the cash side with them, and and the idea that they are a distracted business that probably needs to rein in its spending if they're going to be hitting the targets that Evan Spiegel wants them to hit. And and so I I look at it and I'm like, you know, you guys aren't really eating your cooking when it, when it comes to the stuff that you're talking about uh in your conference calls. So so Snap bothers me from a financial perspective. Uh Facebook Portal that bothers me a lot more from a public perception perspective. Uh I guess that's all to say that we won't be giving each other either for this holiday season, Evan. Yeah, definitely not buying that (laughs) Facebook camera to put in my (laughs) home. Uh, Evan, all right, thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!